Well, 2022, I'd have never thunk it. And when I was young, reading those science fiction books, we're already past those years that were the title of those books. Things are happening so rapidly that you can't seem to possibly keep up with what's happening in our world, with the technology that's taking place in this world. How many of you have heard of the metaverse? How many of you have any idea what it really is? Well, you're way ahead of me. They're talking about technology and things that I can't even comprehend, can't even begin to comprehend. And it's all coming. It's all coming. Shouldn't surprise us because we do know that the scripture foretells in the end times, knowledge is going to abound. I believe we're already seeing in many ways all of creation groaning, the groaning of creation accelerating as we're coming closer and closer to whenever it is Jesus is going to return. The title of my message this morning, and really I'm just going to confess because it may go all over the place, but I really wrestled with this, oh golly, for about the last four or five weeks. Fear, this fear that's just got so much of our nation and so much of the world just so burdened and bound up. Fear. The title of the message is A Year With No Fear. Is that possible? Is that possible? Well, I'm going to say yes. But the first thing I want to do is differentiate between two different types of fear very briefly. Actually, a year ago, January 17th of last year, I spoke on fear. But it was a little bit different message. I spoke on the reverential fear of the Lord and the importance and the necessity of grabbing a hold and cultivating that reverential fear towards God because there's so much power released in our lives because of that. But this year it's going to be a little different. Fear. You know, not everything is a conspiracy, but some things are. And some things are very real. They'll get labeled a conspiracy. When it comes to fear, I believe there is a major conspiracy going on, but it's probably not what you think right away in the top, in your mind. I think of Ephesians where it tells us who the enemy really is, that we do not fight against flesh and blood. That's not the enemy. And I do believe there is a conspiracy of fear and a conspiracy to use fear to control and manipulate and all of those things, but I believe it's not new. It's not new. It may be accelerated. There may be a things that the enemy is using to, to really move it forward and increase it, but it's not new. Fear has been around since the garden. You know, in the garden, God created Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. No sin, no fear. Everything was perfect. And then Satan came with that temptation. And the first thing he really did was caused Adam and Eve to question God's love for them. Does God really want you to be this, that, or the other thing? Does God really not want you to know? You know what? God doesn't want you to know because if you do know, you'll be like him. And he used this, this what I'll call a subtle fear, this fear of not knowing, not being enough. But whatever it was, it caused them to question God's love. And then they ate of the fruit, that forbidden fruit. And when they did, what happened? 
They hid from God. They hid from God. They hid from his presence. Their creator, the creator of the entire universe and all that exists, the one who loved them, cared for them, had promised to meet every need and provided all that they could possibly imagine, they hid from him. Welcome, fear, to the world. Hiding from the presence of God. A year ago, I said, I preached a sermon. It was titled, What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? Why did I preach that sermon? Well, I wanted us to really evaluate our focus. What is it we're focusing on? Really understanding what it means to have that reverential awe and fear of God. Not afraid of him like that's going to cause us to hide from him, run from him. A fear and reverence and awe of him that will cause us to seek him. A cause us to draw near to him. That no matter what comes, we are in such a place with God that the circumstances around us mean nothing and can create no fear and they're powerless to steal our faith, steal our joy. Why? Well, how many of you can remember 2020? Jeez, we'd all like to forget 2020. There were plenty of things that the enemy used to stir up fear in people. The list is long. Obviously, in March of 2020, this thing called COVID was introduced and released into the world. And fear of this unknown, which led to so many things that caused so many other areas and opportunities for fear to take hold, the, the lockdowns, being unable to socialize and be with people, the closing of our schools, all of these things just accentuating and providing greater and greater opportunities for fear. The George Floyd incident, the violence, the rioting, all of these things, fear. And it's all, it's all over in the media, wherever you turn, wherever you look, pressing and pushing fear, the economic hardships. And then there was the election. Fear being pushed from both sides, quite honestly. And many of us lost sight of, of God in that whole process. We started looking to man as a solution to our problems. If this happens or that happens, all right. It'll all be good. There'll be nothing to fear. Well, that didn't work out so well. 2021 came. And now it's went. But if we had that reverential fear of the Lord, that awe of God, there are so many things that we could rely on. And I, that I'm just going to read quickly a few scriptures from last year's message. Psalms 111.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all who follow his precepts have good understanding. Moses said to the people in Exodus 20, 20, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. Psalms 112, verse 1 and 8, Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord. His heart is upheld, and he will not fear. I love that. His heart is upheld, and he will not fear. The reverential fear of the Lord. 2021, has anything changed? What's changed? We all know how 2021 went. We're believing and hoping and praying, I trust, that 2022 is different. Fear has been weaponized. Fear is truly being weaponized to control and manipulate people. 
And as again, as I said, you can blame flesh and blood if you want, but this is the this is the program of the enemy. Satan's most powerful tool to steal our faith is fear. There is plenty of opportunities in the circumstances surrounding us to let fear consume us, start to control us. And we'll be talking about that quite a bit before I'm finished. Satan's not going to let up. He wants us, all of humankind, to doubt God. To get our eyes off of him. And to be bound by this fear. Quick definitions of fear from the old dictionaries. As a noun, it's an unpleasant feeling or emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain. As a verb, it's to be afraid of someone or something as likely to be dangerous, painful, or threatening. Really, fear is simply a feeling of alarm that we have in a moment's time. It can be positive. It can be positive. Just because it can be a painful emotion whenever it rises up in us doesn't mean it's always negative. It, it warns us of real danger, rational fear. When there is something that is a real and a serious threat, it's only rational to be afraid. It's a given to us to give us the ability to recognize it as dangerous and to escape from that danger, from that feeling. When it's not, when it's an irrational fear, it causes us to be afraid and to react to something that may never happen at all something that may not be dangerous at all, something that has a very minute chance of even happening, and if it does happen, it has a very minute chance of affecting us in any way. Irrational fears. And there are tons and tons of irrational fears. Because fear is an unpleasant emotion, we tend to sometimes think of it always as bad. But it's not. But irrational fear... This is super damaging. I'm going to read a couple of different quotes. This first one was by a writer named John Bloom. I put it up on the screen so you can kind of think it through even as I read it. Fear is something designed by God, not the devil. Part of us. He put it in us. God designed fear so that we would flee real danger. Fear is meant to be a mercy the mercy of God, causing us to recognize and flee. Its purpose is to direct us to safety. When our soul is ordered right, we fear the Lord and turn away from the evil. The devil perverts reality with his lies and seeks to use fear on us backwards. He wants us to fear evil and turn away from God. But it's very interesting the way he states that. Fear is a mercy gift from God to get us to turn towards him and away from all kinds of evil. The devil just takes this thing that is a mercy gift from God and perverts it in trying to cause the exact opposite to happen. 
because of the circumstances, because of what we're hearing or seeing, and it's triggering these emotions, these feelings in us, it all of a sudden turns us towards that potential evil or evil and away from God. It gets our eyes off of him completely. Satan's good at this stuff. We need to always remember the battle is not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle that we're fighting. There's always, always, always going to be a temptation to fear until Jesus comes back. There's always going to be temptations. Whatever is removed today, there will be another thing to replace it tomorrow or the next day or maybe right away that afternoon. Who knows? But its goal is to keep us focused on something else, the darkness, the evil, the fear, off of God, preventing us to live the abundant life that Christ died to provide for us. That's his goal. Always. Once we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, I do not believe he can steal your salvation, but he can certainly steal your joy. He can steal your ability to live the abundant life in Christ if we let him. If we let him. So because it's here and going to be here always, we need to learn to discern by the Spirit real fear, rational fear from the irrational fear. We sang about truth this morning. We prayed about truth this morning. We need to really be connected to the Lord with a reverential awe and fear of him, drawing us closer to him so that we get so familiar with his voice that when we hear something being said or spoken, we can discern instantly, is it truth or a lie? Truth or a lie? Now, in my mind all week, I've been wrestling with not wanting to be political because the last thing that I want to be is political because politics is not the answer. That doesn't mean if you're called to it that you shouldn't get involved. I'm not saying that. But we need to realize the enemy is this, is Satan. This spirit of fear that's permeating, I believe, the world today. This nation today. All around the globe. Fear. He wants to keep us. Satan wants to keep us from living in victory over fear. And we'll talk about some of the effects of fear in just a moment. But I want to share another quote first. Many of you have probably read a lot of C.S. Lewis stuff. The screw tape letters is the one I'm going to be quoting from. But the section I'm going to quote is of a senior demon giving instruction and mentoring a junior demon. So in this quote, when it refers to the enemy, the enemy the demon is talking about is God. I tell you that because when we hear the word enemy, we always think of Satan or the devil. But this is from the perspective of this senior demon. And here's what it says. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy, against God. He wants men to be concerned with what they do Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. C.S. Lewis, the enemy, the enemy of Satan, God, wants us to focus on how we respond, how we react, what we do when these circumstances come at us. Do we respond and look to him? 
Do we respond and put our trust in him? The enemy says, no, no, the best way to avoid that is get them thinking about what's going to happen, what could happen, what might happen. What are the things that keep you awake at night when you lay in bed? What is it you're worried about? Where is the fear coming from? What is all that about? What do you do with it when it happens? God's interested in what we do with it. The enemy wants us to worry about what's going to happen to us. He wants to pit believers against Christ. That's his goal. Now, you might say, I'm not that foolish. I'm never going to allow myself to be pitted against Christ. But when we believe the lies of the enemy, we are pitted against Christ. He is truth. It's not a conscious thing. I understand that. None of us here are so foolish that we want to say, you know, I think I want to go to battle and what I want to fight against is Jesus. We're not that foolish. Another quote, and I didn't write down who I got this from. I apologize for that, but I'll let you know it's not mine, but I really, really like it because it's what I see and what troubles me so much today and what's going on in the world. Fear, by its very nature, brings division, tears us apart, and makes us doubt God's goodness. When I look at our nation today, this is what I see so much of. Tearing us apart. Bringing division. Getting our eyes on things other than God. Not a conscious decision to ignore, acknowledge or ignore God's goodness, but that's what's happening. Our eyes are on the wrong thing. We're responding to irrational fear. We're fearful of things that might happen, could happen, may happen. Why? Because the enemy is a, a champion at using lies and deception to get our attention, to draw us away from our focus of God. Fear comes in all sizes and shapes. A few words that we could use that we may not call it fear. But realizing it's one of Satan's greatest tools to keep you and me from living out God's plan and destiny for our lives. Fear. At so many different levels. It could come looking like worry. We could be worrying about just about anything and everything. Our finances, our sicknesses, um, our children, losing our job. Worry, just worrying, worrying, worrying. Then it may switch to something just a little bit different than worry, and that's anxiety. Anxious about things that may never, ever happen, but there's such an anxiety, it just about stops us from doing anything. Anxiety can look like paranoia. Fear comes dressed as paranoia. Everywhere we look, we see the danger. Everything we hear, we hear danger. Things that stimulate fear in our lives, in our hearts. Despair. This, this is so big. We hear these voices, or maybe I should put it this way. We, we have these thoughts that lead us into despair, thoughts that say things like, you're not blank enough. Fill in the blank. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're not good enough. You're not 
pretty enough. Fill in the blank. It's never going to be good enough. I'm never going to make it. What's the point? It's never going to happen. Or it could fall into that thing, or you will never blank. You will never fill in that blank. You will never. You're never going to succeed. You're never going to be loved. You're never going to find a mate. You're never going to. You're never going to. Despair settles in. Easily can cause us to just give up and throw in the towel. All of these things that would prevent us from being able to step out in faith to do what God is calling us to do. Fear. (coughs) So fear can look like a lot of things, but listen to this next statement. Again, borrowed, stolen from someone else. Fear can look like a lot of things, but its greatest damage to our life is its ability to alter our decision-making. Say that again. It can look like a lot of things, but its greatest damage or danger to our life is its ability to alter our decision-making. Fear, whether it's worry or anxiety or despair or paranoia, and now we're going to try to make sound decisions based on truth? The decisions that we make based on fear, irrational fear, are not going to be in accordance with God's will unless it's to turn to him. This kind of fear will squash your vision. Without vision, what happens? People perish. Irrational fears will squash that vision. It will destroy any of the plans and strategies that you might have for your life that God has truly put in your heart to lead you to that place of fulfilling your destiny, your calling on your life. But if we're being controlled by fear, the decisions we make, those things are just going to go out the window because there's a million reasons why your plans won't work. And each one of those reasons is something the enemy can use as an arrow to shoot fear into our hearts. And I never like to use words never and always, but my experience is most fear-based decisions I make, I end up regretting. They're just not good choices. They're not good decisions. We need to be reminded, Second Timothy, one verse seven. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So when that fear comes, irrational fear comes, you can rest assured, it's not from God. It's not from Him. Now, if it's a legitimate fear, a rational fear, there's danger coming, and it comes, that's from Him. Get out of the way of the oncoming truck, for goodness sakes. But if it's an irrational fear rising, it's not from him. It's not from God. And he doesn't just say, I don't give you a spirit of fear. He says this, I give you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. What an antidote to that spirit of fear that the enemy tries to cast upon us. 
We need to be reminded. And this is where that reverential fear, that awe, that awe of God is, awe, is an amazingly powerful thing because there is a power and love. And a sound mind. Man, our mind gets pretty stupid. I'm, at least mine does when I'm making decisions based on fear. It's amazing how our ability to think logically, reason with wisdom, respond to truth is hindered when we're paralyzed by fear. We have to choose whether we're going to live a life of faith or a life of fear. He says, I've not given you a spirit of fear. Here's what I'm giving you. Choose. Which one do you want to live in? And here's where I'm getting to the real meat of what I wanted to try to share. Primary difference between fear and faith is this. Fear paralyzes us. Faith mobilizes us. The church is almost as consumed with fear, I think, as the world. And in some cases, sometimes it appears worse. And it paralyzes us. It paralyzes us as individuals. It paralyzes us as a body of Christ. Whereas faith motivates, mobilizes us. And it's a battle. It's a challenge to, to win. Fear will stop you in your tracks. Stop me in my tracks. Listen to this. This is not an excuse, but there is a doctor. His name is... Gregory Burns from Emory University. He is a neuroscientist who studies the human brain and how it reacts to certain situations. In 2008, he was studying how humans, the human mind, reacts to fear. In an article for the New York Times, he said, the most concrete thing that neuroscience tells us is that when the fear system of the brain is active, the exploratory activity and risk-taking are turned off. So before you go, gee, big deal, Mike. Think about that for a second. When that fear part of our brain, that fear activity is triggered, this part of our brain that causes us to to be um, taking chances, risk-taking, exploring new things, in a sense, that exploratory activity, that risk-taking activity, kind of sounds a lot like faith. So when that part of our brain, that fear system gets turned on, the faith system is physiologically hindered or turned off. shouldn't surprise us if we understand Scripture and understand what the Lord has told us about fear and the dangers of fear. But it's so interesting to me to see that science research knows this. And what's scary about that, it seems like to me whenever science finds something out, the world discovers it and uses it. And more often than not, it uses it for the wrong purposes, to manipulate and to control. On a trivial level, just think of advertising and marketing. 
Gee, almost everything that you watch being advertised or marketed on television, one of the driving motives that I got to get that is fear. Fear of missing out. Fear of my teeth falling out if I don't buy Crest toothpaste. Fear of this. Fear of, I got to have it. If I don't get a new car every two years, I'm a loser. And if I want to be happy, I've got to have this, that, and all those other things. The world understands the science, the truth, but the enemy, the enemy and his conspiracy allows it to be used and manipulated for the wrong reasons. Now, not all marketing's evil. Not all branding's evil. Don't get me wrong. It's the motives of the heart. It's the motives of the heart. Fear sells. During the Nuremberg trials, people were often asked who were being prosecuted for the war crimes, how could so few people control a nation? You know what the answer was? Fear. Fear. They turned on their propaganda machines and created fear to control and manipulate a nation. As we walk out our lives at the destiny that God has for us, we're going to constantly be asked to take some risks. A walk of faith is a challenge. And you can go through biblically. Noah took a step of faith. Boy, you're going to build an ark. What the heck for? It hasn't even rained. We don't even know what that is. And you can go through many, many other ones like that. You could pick out Abraham or Moses or Joshua and Caleb and say, they were asked to do crazy things, to take a risk. But it was interesting, God always told them what to do and then gave them a promise of what would happen if they did it. Following God and fulfilling our destiny requires risk-taking. Fear paralyzes, faith mobilizes. I'd like to spend a lot of time on a simple story, but I'm not going to take too much time. But I think it drives home the point so well. It's in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's an event that fills up the whole chapter. The whole chapter is on one event. And when a whole chapter, when lots of words in Scripture are given to one thing, it's probably a good idea that we should look at it and think it's important. That chapter 17 has 58 verses in it. And it's all about one event that all of us probably are very familiar with. And don't let familiarity with it cause you to miss it. It's a story, an event about a king and his army. And it's about an opposing army and their giant of a soldier, Goliath. And it's about this little shepherd boy named David. Try to get the picture. You could develop this in so many ways. But keep in mind, fear paralyzes. Faith mobilizes. Think of the situation. There's a valley and there's a hill on each side. And on this side is the, the army of Israel, King Saul's army. And on this side is the army of the Philistines. And down in the bottom of the valley is where they're going to fight this war. But in those days, sometimes they used wisdom. Instead of let's kill a whole bunch of people, why don't you send out your best soldier? We'll send out our best soldier and we'll let them fight. And the loser becomes the slaves of the servants, of the victor. They take all your money. They take all of everything. 
So this is what King Saul was risking. The nation was facing annihilation. If they lost to the Philistines, it was over for King Saul and the nation of Israel. The Philistines sent out one man, Goliath. Pretty impressive man. Nine feet, nine inches tall. Armor that a normal human being couldn't have possibly wore because it weighed so much. A spear we couldn't throw, a sword you could probably hardly lift. A shield so big that he had to have another soldier walk in front of him with the shield. And he went down there in that valley for 40 days. 40 days. He went down in the valley and challenged the army of God. For 40 days. Part of me goes, well, what the heck were you going to do, Saul? Stay there forever? This giant and his armor was all meant for basically one thing, to create intimidation and fear. Intimidation and fear. To get you to think, King Saul's sitting up in his tent, his army's standing there listening to this every day for 40 days, totally intimidated and fearful, thinking it's hopeless. There's nothing we can do. We have no choice. There is nobody here that can beat that giant. And What other choice do we have? Well, first of all, they did have another choice. Saul so sort of said, you know what? We can't beat him. Let's go attack. Our whole army is going to attack and see what happens. But they were so paralyzed by fear, they didn't move. So this went on for 40 days. David had three brothers that were in the army. And David's father sent him to take him something to eat, see how they're doing, check in with him. And he gets there. And he says he's visiting with his brothers. He's visiting with his brothers. And here comes Goliath. Part of me wonders, how did the army even respond? This is day 40. They've heard this for 40 days. Send him down. Come on down, you wimps. Where's your best man? Send him down. Nobody moved. And David hears this. He goes, what in the world's going on? What's going on? Why are we so fearful of this soldier, this giant, if you would? Why are we so afraid of him? He's insulting God. He's insulting God's people. And of course, what happens when one person decides to step up with faith against fear. Well, probably what would happen in a lot of our lives, first of all, as family members, as brothers, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? We know your heart. You're just full of yourself. Who do you, what are you doing? Just shut up and go home. He wouldn't let that stop him. He goes to King Saul. They take him to King Saul, and King Saul looks at him and says, no, this is not going to work. It amazes me that King Saul ever said yes, because look what was at risk. If he lost, he sent little, this David, this young man David, he sent him down into the valley to face the giant. And if he lost, they were going to be slaves to the Philistines, those that lived. Finally, King Saul says, okay, David's insistent. I can do this. 
Well, right away, King Saul says, well, okay, if you're going to go, here, take my armor, take my weapons. In my mind, and I know it sure wasn't probably like this, but it's almost like your little boy wants to put on your big boy clothes. And you look at him and nothing fits. Everything's just sagging. In my mind, I can just see see David with, with the armor of the king, who was a pretty impressive man. Nothing fit. Well, you got to do it the way that way. Just go along. Just go along with the, the old way. David says, no, I can't do this. It won't work. And it tells us that David went out and he went down there, took what he had, took what he was equipped with, but basically went knowing that God was on his side. Truth was on his side. When he went down there, I'm going to take the time to read just a couple of verses. Verse 40, David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the streams, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield barrier in front of him, kept coming closer to David, and he looked at David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you can come at me? With sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Okay. Intimidated yet? Scared yet? I'm going to stand up for God, but all of a sudden fear? No, he just goes right on. And what does David say to all of this? You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not about sword or spear that the Lord saves, but for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Sometimes, we face what seem like insurmountable obstacles. Fear comes in. People that might want to encourage us, or we would think would encourage us, like his family, are saying, what are you thinking? Not only that, what's wrong with you? Who do you think you are? The whole army's not going, but you're going to do something about it? What arrogance. You go to the leader, the king. And he says, no, you can't do this. And then when he does, I think give in, he tells you what you should use to do it. And you say, no, I'm not going to do that either. I'm going with what God has given me and equipped me with. I killed the lion and I killed the bear. I like it. I think it's the one of them. I think it was the lion. It says, I took him by his beard and I shoved a knife in him. God. Faith mobilizes. He was just a young man. He had no special strengths. He was a shepherd. Came from humble origins. But he was different on the inside. And we're all required and can expect that we're going to have to stand up for truth. To fulfill our destiny, we're going to have to stand up in many different ways. 
in different ways probably for each one of us because of what we're called to do, where we're supposed to be being used by the Lord, what our destiny is. But we need to remember some scriptures. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Our enemy is, is not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Some practical application before I close. What should we do? Go forward in faith even when you're misunderstood. You ever feel misunderstood when you're trying to do what you believe is the right thing and the Lord has put it on your heart? Just because we're misunderstood doesn't mean we stop. Doesn't mean we don't continue on. Be willing to take bold steps. Sometimes it takes everything we have to take that step of faith. Hard to imagine what was going through David's mind if we could think in human terms. But he went down that valley, down into that valley like, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to cut your head off with your own sword. Be bold. Refuse to be put off. Everybody was trying to dissuade him. Just go along. Just sit down with the rest of the army or go home to dad. Don't be put off. King Saul says, don't do it. Always remember the real power relies with God. Always. And have the courage to be who God has called you to be and made you to be. David went down there with a stick and a sling and a few stones. Used what God had equipped him with. We don't always have to conform. And I would add to those five things Cover them all with love. Cover them all with love because all of those things out of a wrong heart can come across in ways that the enemy can use it. Arrogance, pride, conceit. In love. Trusting and having our faith in the Lord. So can 2022 be a year without fear? Not for the world it's not going to be. Can it be for you and me? The Lord does say, do not fear, right? So it's possible. Let's pray. Lord, as we face trying times, your word has been clear. Trying times are coming. As Christians, we are going to be persecuted. Trying times are coming. The enemy wants to disseminate disseminate fear everywhere, spread it to all, to paralyze us, including your church. Father, give us discernment to see what's happening, discern lies from truth, irrational from rational. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to remember that that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but you have given us power and love and a sound mind. You are equipping us to be part of your army, to advance your kingdom. So Lord, I pray, though, that 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 spirit of fear that has entangled so many of us, each one of us at times, Lord, that we would be set free from that by the power of your word, the power of truth, putting our faith, our hope, and trust in you. The victory has already been won. Many battles to be fought. God, may we be walking with you 
to accomplish your purposes. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.